Um, hey, I need to get you caught up on where we're at for the last couple of weeks. Uh, we've been kind of in this servant series where we've, we've been saying the same thing, is that Christian, the Christian sort of approach to identity formation is different than, than other people. It's just different than the rest of the world approaches identity formation. The rest of the world uh, approaches identity formation like this. First, I look in. I look deep into my soul, and I look at my feelings, and I, I look in. And then, once I kind of figure that out, then I look out to God and to the rest of the world. That I'll, I'll know what the rest of the world is like if I just know me first. And, and the Christianity comes along and says, actually, there's a different approach. We have a different approach. And we believe that I can't know me if I look in first. The only way for me to know me is to look out first. It's an outside-in sort of process of identity formation. So first got to know who God is, and then I'll be able to know who I am. And so well, there's a lot of metaphors in the Bible that help us understand who God is. And one of the main driving metaphors in the scripture is this picture of a shepherd and a sheep. That he's a shepherd, he's the good shepherd, and we're the sheep. We're the sheep. And so we've been spending some, some time in, uh, it, together in, in this sermon series. And we've been looking basically at just like what one text has been our diving board. And we've like bounced off to some other texts. But this text in the book of Proverbs um, is, I'm sorry, in, in the book of Psalms is, uh, is this really, really famous chapter, Psalm 23, really, really famous chapter on, you know, shepherd and sheep. And even if you're not a Christian, you probably know this passage of scripture. And so when we read it together in a second, it's going to probably be really familiar to you. Um, but, uh, but we're going to use this passage and we're going to dive in a little bit deeper than what we, than what we talked about last week. Um, I'm excited for today because here, here's what I think. Today we're going to look at a problem that all of us, all of us struggle with. Today we're going to look at something that's in us, and especially in our relationships together, that causes a lot of frustration for all of us, that also causes a lot of joy um, in, in, in our lives, but also can be very destructive things in our lives. This problem that we're going to look at, no matter what you believe about God or what you believe about the Bible, maybe you're here and you're little, you know, like, I'm not sure if they believe all this. Listen, you're in the right place today, because what this passage is going to help us sort of get a glimpse of is something that... We all wrestle with, we all struggle with, and it's also this thing that if we could get this right, like if we could, if we could really do, if we could really listen to, to, to the Lord on this and, and, and figure this out in our lives, it has the potential to revolutionize your life, and it has the potential to revolutionize relationships around you, has really the potential to help us make Jesus, um, to help people see how beautiful and wonderful he is around us, okay? So this passage is going to help us. Let's, let's read it together. This is Psalm 23. In the last couple of weeks, we've kind of just been reading it out loud together. Let's just do that again, okay? Uh, it's a really familiar one. It goes like this. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, forever. Um, 
I've, I've been reading so much on this, and I mentioned last week that there's this really famous book called, it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It's by this guy named Philip Keller, and he was actually a shepherd for decades. And so he's got this unique approach to when he reads this, he sees all sorts of things that we wouldn't see because we're just not shepherds. I mean, I, I'm speaking, I don't know, maybe there's some shepherds in the room, I don't know, but, uh, or closet shepherds maybe, I don't know, but you, uh, but a lot of us, you know, we just kind of read about sheep and it's like, oh yeah, sheep, sheep, but you know, we don't quite know. And so when Philip Keller is talking about just all these different ins and outs, I've learned so much. And one of the things I mentioned last week is that uh, when it says that he makes me lie down in green pastures, that, you know, you'd think that why would a sheep have to be made to lie down in green pastures? That sounds like a, that sounds like a really good thing. And it is a good thing, but a lot of times sheep can be stubborn. They don't want to lie down. But most of the time, it's because there's like something going on. There's, there's four conditions that need to be met for, that a shepherd needs to meet for the sheep so that the sheep feel safe enough and secure enough to be able to sit down. So the shepherd isn't like forcing the sheep down. No, the, sh- the shepherd is, 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 is helping the sheep, making the sheep lie down by taking care of these things. And I mentioned them last week. Here's what they are. Is, uh, they're, uh, they need to feel safe from predators. So the shepherd has to make sure that things are safe, that there's no wolves and stuff around. They need to be free from being pestered by flies or parasites. Um, that's where the part where it says that he, like, he puts oil on my head, that the shepherds would, would do that to sort of keep the parasites and the flies away because the sheep isn't going to be able to, to, to lie down. It needs to be free from hunger. So there needs to be food available and water. And then this fourth one, it needs to be free from fiction, or friction with other sheep. So sheep have this tendency to, uh, to have, uh, you know, they have this like conflict with each other. And so one of the main jobs of the shepherd is to get in there and help the sheep get along. Just to help the sheep get along. Let me take you on a little time machine back to my past. Because one of my favorite cartoons growing up was, and we had this VHS tape of it, it was recorded, and I remember I put that VHS tape, and uh, some of you don't know what that is, but you know, just Google it, but, but uh, we put it in, and it was, this, it was this Disney cartoon from the 50s called Lambert the Sheepish Lion. Anybody remember Lambert the Sheepish Lion, any of you? Yeah, so, so you know, it's, it's uh, Lambert the Sheepish Lion, Lambert, there's no, din- you guys know it? Some of you know, I'm taking you back right now, this is good. And so here's the story is, is there's a, the stork comes because in the 50s, the stork always shows up and brings the babies, you know. And, uh, and so the stork comes and they bring all these little, little baby sheep and they run to their mamas. But then there's this one lion. He just got packed into the wrong thing. And so he's going to, the stork is going to take the lion back. But the lion goes and finds the one mama sheep and that becomes its mama. And so he grows up with, this, with his mama sheep. But here's the problem is the other sheep start making fun of Lambert. And they just start like heckling him and they start making fun of him because he looks different, he talks different, he can't do what other sheep do. And, uh, and it really gets him down until later in the cartoon, and I'm not going to spoil the ending, uh, but later in the cartoon a wolf shows up and then this is where Lambert gets to, uh, gets to show his colors, all right? This is where he like, he like comes out and saves all the sheep and then everybody loves him in the end. Sorry, I gave it away. Ah, man, I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. Uh, and, and we, for the last couple of weeks, we've kind of made a big deal about how sheep are kind of, you know, they're, you know they're, they're, they can't defend themselves and they're, you know, there's just a lot of things they can't do. But one of the things about sheep that actually is true about them is they're very intelligent socially. So they have a lot, there's a lot of social hierarchy in the sheep 
dumb. I guess people study this, you know. But uh, there's, there's, a, there's this, you know, this pecking order thing within sheep. And so um, it's, it's a good thing because they get together socially really well. But it's also a destructive thing because it can really, really um, cause the sheep to have a lot of anxiety and fear and trepidation. That's why they don't lie down is because the, the sheep are just, are just at it with each other. And so that's one of the main jobs of the shepherd is to come in and help the sheep get along. And so today I want to talk about how our good shepherd comes in and helps us do this thing that is really hard for us to do sometimes, and that's just to just to get along. Have you been offended by somebody in church before? Nobody, I guess not. Okay, Um, I, I think I think it would be safe to say that we've all been there's all been there's been some wounds. Um, there's been some offenses. Um, there, you know, like there's just like people stuff in church, just like we're human beings. And so, you know, maybe you've got a room to rent. And so you rent the room out to somebody, you know, here in the community. And, and then like their rent's late. And then you got to go talk to them. Now it's awkward. Or maybe you let somebody borrow your barbecue and they borrow the barbecue, but then it comes back not in the same condition as you gave it to them. And now you're like, what do I say? What do I do? And I don't want it to be awkward. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe this has happened to you. Um, maybe you felt like uh, there is like this group in the church where you want to be a part of that little group, but you but like you don't feel like you belong in that little group, so you kind of feel like an outcast. Um, sometimes we call them cliques, you know. Um, sometimes people say like, oh, I don't like going to church because there's just like a bunch of cliques, which I don't even know what that word means, and it sounds like very middle, you know, like a middle school word. But uh, but that's often happens sometimes in the life of a church is there's like just this relational stuff. There's this relational awkwardness and how do we get along together and, and like what, do I, what happens when we're offended and hurt by one another? What happens when there's disappointment? And what I want you to see today is, is th- those aren't just small little things. That actually, actually, though, how we handle those things, how we approach those conversations with one another, actually, it's a very big deal at all. I mean, it, it's a very big deal, actually. It actually matters tons to our mission. It matters a lot. God really cares about about your barbecue and what you're going to say and do about that barbecue. Now, we would think like, oh, that's just like, that's nothing. But no, no, what I want you to see is how we go about this is so, so important. So I got to pause and say, if you, you're kind of like, you're not a Christian, maybe you're here, listen, I've, I've told you already, you're in the right place, I'm so glad you're here, you're kind of checking it out. Um, I'm, you're, this is a great day for you, because for the rest of the talk, I, I'm just kind of, today's one of those days where I'm really talking to like the, the Christians, and especially like the Christians, you're a part of this community, we're a part of this community together, how do we how do we get along? Because if you're kind of, if you're a non-Christian or maybe one of the reasons why you've been so frustrated with church is because you've like seen some like tension. You've seen some like some church splits perhaps, or you've seen some like gossiping or backbiting. And you're just like, man, if those people, like, what's the deal? Like, why, why can't they get along together? And so maybe that's one of the things that pushed you away. And so I'm just going to kind of talk to some of the, like the insiders today, and it's, you're, this is the perfect day for you because you're just going to listen to what, what we need to talk about together as a church community about why this matters and how we do this well, because it really matters. And in my mind, I think it matters uh, why these like conflicts and offenses and how we talk about it, it matters in three different ways. There's, a, there's an inward reason, there's an upward reason, and there's an outward reason why this is important. First, the inward reason is because God knows 
uh, just the good shepherd knows how much anxiety and, and stress and how much time we, t- we take just wrestling with a lot of these relationships, these interpersonal relationships with each other. It can cause a lot of stress on us. What do I say? What do I do? Do I approach that topic? Do I not? You know, just, just you know, forgiveness and finding, that, finding reconcili- reconciliation with each other. It takes a toll on us. One of the reasons why this is important is because, man, it causes a lot of anxiety and stress in many of us. And so it matters for that reason. It matters in an upward way because um, we've done whole sermon series on this in the past, but there's this really beautiful principle that our relationship with God can't be separated from our relationship with each other. That our vertical relationship and our horizontal relationships, that all of those matter together. Because one of the main ways that I love God is how I love God another, how I love others. And so those things are interconnected, right? You can't disrespect my wife in one breath and then come over to me and be like, oh, pastor, you're the greatest. I love you so much. Because if you just disrespect my life, but you think you're going to have a great relationship with me, uh-uh. Oh, no, you didn't. You know, like, <laughs> no, sorry, that's not how it works. Because, you, man, you, you know, because we go together, you know, and God and horizontal relationships, they, they go together. So it matters in, a, in an upward way, but it also matters in an outward way. Um, because, um, you know, here's, uh, it matters in an outward way because the proving ground for our faith is our relationships with with each other. This is kind of where the proving ground happens. And Jesus said it this way. He says that you're going to know my disciples, they're going to know that you're my disciples by how many bumper stickers you have. Remember when he said that? Oh, wait, sorry, that's wrong. He said, he said, they're going to know you're my disciples by how loud you sing at church. That's how they're going to know. No, no, no. They're going to know you're my disciples by how many Bible scriptures you have memorized. That's how they're going to know. Right? Did he say those things? Now, all those things are, are great things. They're fine. What did Jesus say? He said something really, really profound. He says, listen, here's how, here's how the world's going to know that this gospel thing that you believe is legit. They're going to see it in your relationships. It's going to be lived out in these, in like smaller batches. And then if it can be lived out in a smaller batch, then that means that it, it, can, be, it can be lived out in a bigger batch. It's a little bit like yeast. The Bible uses this, this, this language, yeast. What is yeast? Yeast is, what is it? It's a fungi, right? That's why it gets invited to all the best parties. Sorry. Um, that was a dad joke. I'll just keep going. All right. Uh, and I've watched enough Alton Brown to know this about yeast. Is yeast... When, when it gets a little bit sugar, something happens with yeast. It multiplies and it burps, all right? It multiplies and it burps, and it makes bread delicious. That's what makes, like, all those bubbles in bread, you know? It's just, like, it makes bread so, so good. And the thing about yeast is yeast, it's like, you know, it's, there's a little bit of it, but it spreads throughout the whole batch. That's the thing about yeast. It spreads. It doesn't stay in one place. And so the reason why our conflict with each other, our conversations with each other, the reason why it matters is it matters because we want the world to know that Jesus is who he says he is, that he did what he said he did, that he died on the cross for us, and that he rose again. And one of the the proving grounds for that is how it impacts our relationships here together. Because if we can't reconcile to one another, then how in the world are we supposed to go out and preach a gospel about a God who reconciles? This is the place, this is the, this in, in our community, in little communities all over where Christians gather, where Christians are living life together. 
that they recognize that they're a part of a new kind of a kingdom. And we're learning how to handle conflict, handle disappointment, handle offenses. We're learning how to do this in a way that God would have us to because it matters. Because we want the world to see how good and great God is. Um, so, um, there we go. Here's what I'm going to do. Is the shepherd helps the sheep get along. I'm just going to read. I rarely do this. I usually take one passage and unpack it. But I'm just going to give you like a, a, sh- a little tiny smorgasbord of three scriptures throughout the New Testament. And I'm just going to read them. And then I just want them to like sit on us. I kind of want them to just weigh on us. We'll pull out a few things from them. Just three kind of random passages that I find, pardon me, really, really, really helpful. Here's, here's where they are. First, we're going to go to Colossians. Colossians. This is Paul writing to this church in Colossae. And this is what he says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And always be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. I love that. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, this is verse 17, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's Colossians. Here's Hebrews chapter 12. Listen to this. Work at getting along with each other and with God. Otherwise, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. What? It says, work at getting along with each other and with God. Otherwise, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. Make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity. Keep a sharp eye out for weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. And then this is James chapter 3. It says this, real wisdom... God's wisdom begins with a holy life and is characterized by getting along with others. It's gentle and reasonable, overflowing with mercy and blessings, not hot one day and cold the next, not two-faced. You can develop a healthy, robust community that lives right with God and enjoy its results only if you do the hard work of getting along with each other, treating each other with dignity and honor. I could just pray right now and we could just be done. You know, we could just let those just like sit on us. Um, but you're not that lucky. I got to talk a little bit more about uh, a couple things that I see in here. First, first, first thing we got to know is sheep are hard to get along with. Okay? Sheep are hard to get along with. What would you expect? Okay? Sheep are hard to get along with. Here's one of my pet peeves is sometimes people come into church and they're like, man, I can't believe that there's people here at the church that, like, form little groups. And I can't believe that, like, you know, people are offending one another. And I can't believe that there's these disagreements. In other words, they're like, man, I can't believe that there's human beings at this church. (laughs) Man, I just can't believe. I'm going to go to another church where there's superhuman beings, where none of that takes place. (laughs) 
And so one of my pet peeves is like, here's what we have to remember. That's, that was a funny joke. There we go. I didn't even know. But one of the things we have to remember is this. Is, you know, this passage, it says, it used this weed metaphor. Did you get it? It's like a thistle gone to seed can ruin a whole batch. Here's what you got to know. Everybody that's got a garden knows this, is that there are weeds in every garden, aren't there? There's weeds in every garden. Now, when I say weeds in every garden, I'm not talking about like people, like certain people are weeds, like bad apples. I don't mean that at all. I, I, mean, I mean just that whenever there's a community of people together, made up of human beings, guess what there's going to be? There's going to be some, some like tension. You get, you get sheep together, what are you going to discover? There's, there's going to be some, there's going to be some tension. That's just, part of that is just, just not just part of it, all of that in, in a way is just sort of very, very normal for human beings. It's normal for sheep. Um, and the mistake that we make is we think, man, the problem, you know, like sometimes the mistake we make in church is we come to church and we notice that there's some tension and some awkward, relationally awkward stuff. And then the mistake that we make is we think, man, the problem is these people out here. Man, the problem is all them. If I just go to the church down the street, there's going to be none of it. None of this stuff at the church down the street. I'll just go to the church down the street. And then they go to the church down the street and then guess what they discover? There's human beings there. It's just filled with more human beings. And then they're like, man, these people here, oh, I'm going to go to the next, and then go to the next place, next place, next place. And then we forget that one of the best things that we can do is remember, and in fact, here, I'm going to help you out, okay? So this is just like a little, this is like a mathematical formula, and it's going to really help you, all right? Here's, here's the first thing. Number one, uh, or no, sorry, here's, here's, oh yeah, sorry, I should probably do that, that Proverbs. I love this one, by the way. Proverbs 14, uh, 4 says this, without oxen, a stable stays clean but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. And what I love about that proverb is it's so true that if you want an ox in your stable, guess what? There's going to be some poo. <laughs> you're going to have to do some cleaning because that's what a strong ox does. But if you want a strong ox, then that means you're going to get a good harvest because a strong ox can help. But there's going to be some byproduct. There's going to be stuff you got to work through. And so we shouldn't be surprised that in a community of people, there's going to be stuff that we got to work through. Okay, but here's this mathematical formula here. Here it is, is first of all, getting along with sheep is hard. Can you say that? Getting along with sheep is hard. Okay, step two is, I am a sheep. Okay, you guys get where this is going? Okay, step three, getting along with me is hard. Okay? And I'm including me in that me, okay? One of the best things that we can do to just help with our relationships is acknowledge that the problem isn't all like you sheep out there and I'm, you know, I'm the one that's got it all together. No, no, the first thing is I'm a sheep and I'm hard to get along with. I'm part of the problem around here. I create some of this stuff around here. And so the question is then from that point, what do we do about it? What do we do with these weeds? Because there's weeds in every garden, okay? So what do we do about these weeds? Uh, here's here's some, the next thing is, number two is this. Having healthy relationships takes hard work. Having healthy relationships takes hard work. It's just true. Why? Why is this the case? A couple reasons why. is because, first, is we're often not good at handling conflict. We're often just not that good at handling conflict. Um, we often hold grudges. We're easily offended. We don't know how to disagree. And this unfortunately happens in church world and in the rest of our world. We're just not really very good at handling conflict. One of the reasons why is because sometimes we, uh, we just we feel like it's not Christian to have conflict. You know, that it's like not, it's not to Christ-like to have conflict. And we're going to get to that in a second. But sometimes we're, we're just not good at this. 
And, uh, and that's a problem, but it's kind of like the rest of the world's not very good at it either, especially like with our climate right now, because we, we've gotten to this place where, uh, where if, uh, you know, if you disagree with someone, then that means that you're judging someone. And can I just tell you that Christians, we need to understand this, is that disagreeing with someone is not the same thing as judging someone. That you can disagree with someone and you're not judging them, okay? They're, they're different things. That there's this, there's room, there should be room for us to be able to disagree with one another, but we're not very good at it for a couple of reasons why. Number one is because we haven't been taught or shown how. So most of us learned conflict from our families growing up. And maybe your family had really good conflict resolution and communication. If you had that, that's awesome. Pass that on. Teach us. Teach us how to do it. But a lot of us grew up in homes where there just wasn't really good conflict resolution and communication. So therefore, we take it into our families. We take it into our workplace. We just weren't taught. Number two is we often learn how to do conflict from movies and television shows. And this is bad. This is so bad. You know why? We, we learn often from these, from these shows. And, you know, and here, here's why. is because these shows have a lot of this word in it. Okay? Right here. These shows have a lot of drama. Right? Do you know why sh- good shows have a lot of drama? Because it's this. Because it's dramatic. That's why. It's because it's dramatic. It's exciting to watch. You know? When Serena says that, like, that thing to Chuck Bass, we're all like, yeah, like, give it to him, you know? But, like, uh, that's why we watch these shows is because they're, they're, they're fun and exciting. And, but then we, like, we take these sort of conversations into our own relationships, and it just, it just hurts. It just breaks down. It doesn't work like it does in the, in the shows. And so we have to, the reason why we don't handle conflict well is because we're just not good at this. You know another reason why we're not good at this is there's actually, I hate to admit this, but there's actually something in us that likes to be offended. There's actually something in us that's kind of devious and underneath that actually likes to be offended. Let me explain. Is, you know, all of our sin usually stems from this thing where we want to be in control. We want to be in control. At, you know, Adam and Eve, you know, they're in the garden. What was the issue? It's like, you know, don't, you know Satan's like, don't trust God. You can trust yourself. You can be in control. You can choose what's between what's good and evil for yourself. So they're like, yeah, I like that. I want to be in control. And that's the, root of our, that's the root of just all of our sin. We just we want to be God. We want control for ourselves. And the obvious ways that people get control are the obvious ones. Power, money, sex, you know, like those sort of things. Like we just use those to control people. But there's some non-obvious ones, like being offended. Being offended is actually one of these like insidious, under-the-surface ways that we gain control, that we keep control over others. Because when you're offended, what do you have? When you're offended, you feel, you feel very righteous. When you're offended, you feel very righteous. You're, this other person hurt you, and I can't believe that other person did that. And you feel very clean, and you look at them, and they're very dirty, and it makes you feel, makes you feel powerful. It makes you feel like you're in control. Nancy Collier has got this great quote. I'll read it to you. It says this. She says, grudges come with an identity. With our grudge intact, we know who we are. A person who was wronged. As much as we don't like it, there also exists a kind of rightness and strength in this identity. We have something that defines us, our anger and victimhood, which gives us a sense of solidness and purpose. We have, defi- we have definition and a grievance that carries weight. 
To let go of our grudge, we have to be willing to let go of our control. Whew, man, it's like reading our mail. If we were just all be honest a bit, there's something in us that, man, there's something in us that we, we like that feeling of power and control when somebody offends us. Do you see it in you? Do you see it at all in you? We're not very good at it, but here's the turn. Here's some helpful things for us about how we're supposed to do this. Next is this. Number three, conflict can actually be a gift. Working through conflict and working through offenses can actually be a gift to us. Um, we don't like to engage in conflict because, like I said before, sometimes it's like it doesn't feel Christian. You know, like, oh, you know, Christians shouldn't have conflict. But no, cr- conflict can actually be a really, really big gift to us. First, it's, it's, a lot of times it's evidence of a robust Christian community. It's evidence that there's a group of people who are, who are trying to work things out. There's conflict. When you breathe, you breathe in oxygen. And what do you expel? Carbon dioxide, right? So if there's a group of people who are coming together and we're just, we're trying to learn how to live together, one of the things that's going to, there's going to be some carbon, carbon dioxide that's expelled. It's, it's evidence that there's breathing taking place. There's evidence that there's work going on. There's evidence that it's, that it's working, that it's active. There's always going to be a byproduct. And whenever I'm doing marriage counseling, sometimes I'm with a couple and there's premarital and I w- want to talk to them about their conflict and resolution. One of my questions is, hey, do you guys have, have you guys had any conflict in your relationship yet? And sometimes they'll be like, oh my gosh, pastor, no conflict at all. We have such a healthy relationship. We have never had any conflict. We are amazing. (laughs) And I look at them and I'm like, warning, 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 warning. I'm like, no, no, wait a minute. Wait, no conflict at all? No, no, no. And when, if there's no conflict, I'm like, wait, something's off. Because, man, if there's like two people trying to get along, there's, there's going to be something. And if there's no conflict, it means that somebody's holding back. Somebody doesn't want to rock the boat. Somebody's not telling the truth. Maybe they just don't know each other enough yet for that stuff to sort of start to come out. And so, you know, conflict isn't, isn't indicative of an unhealthy relationship. You guys know that. If there's like, and I'm talking about healthy conflict now, not unhealthy conflict. If there's healthy conflict, healthy conflict always leads to deeper intimacy. Healthy conflict in a relationship makes sense. It's good. Unhealthy conflict destroys intimacy. It breaks intimacy. It hurts intimacy. We need to learn how to have healthy conflict, and it's actually evidence of a robust Christian community. What's the alternative? That we never disagree, and we're all the same, and we just all sort of get along. But you know what? That would be like surface. It wouldn't be true. It wouldn't be like real conversations going on. So here's a great moment for me to, for me to, um, enforce one of our values here at our church is at Westside we want to be two-handed in our faith. You've heard me say this before. We want to be two-handed in our faith, meaning that at Westside there's going to be some things that need to be held in a closed hand and there needs to be other things that are held in an open hand. Meaning that the things that are held in a closed hand are stuff that we believe that we're just, we're just going like, to die on that hill. Jesus is, is alive. He's, he, he's God incarnate. He died on the cross for us. He rose again. And then there's going to be like things over here that are kind of like they're open-handed issues. There are a bunch of things that, that we can disagree on. And it's okay. We, it doesn't have to break our community. We can be a community together and still disagree about some of these open-handed issues. The problem is when churches or individuals, when they just have, they're one-handed in their faith and it's either everything in a closed hand hand. 
So God is, you know, Jesus is God and he died on the cross and rose again. And then this is the clothes you need to wear. And this is how long your skirt needs to be. And, you know, this is, this is what you need to believe about the book of Revelation. And, you know, this is, this is, you know, like all these different regulations and rules. Everything in a close hand, that's no bueno. You've been a part of a church like that because church, ch- churches like that split all the time. Because if anybody disagrees about anything, it's like, we're going to start our own church. And wear our, wear our skirts as long as we want. You know, I don't know. I just, that was horrible. All right, moving on. Um, or churches are, everything's in an open hand. Which means like, ah, you know, Jesus is God for some, but maybe not for others. You know, whatever you want. And, you know, and like, and just whatever. And there's no backbone here. But this is like, no, we need to be two-handed in our faith. And so we want to have the kind of church where we're unified around the things that matter most. But also that we can disagree on what the book of Revelation is all about. All right? I've got an opinion. you got an opinion. Let's talk about it. And we can disagree. And that's fine. And we can debate. And we can get into the scriptures and be like, I think you're wrong. And be like, I think you're wrong. And then be like, high fives. Let's get, you know, let's, like, let's get coffee. You know what I mean? It's just, it's fine. We can disagree. Let's have a church like that. Because it's actually, uh, uh, it's evidence of a robust Christian community when we can do that. Next is this, is conflict causes us to mature. It causes us to mature. Because it's easier now more than ever to have a falling out with someone, to have an offense, to have some conflict and never have to talk to that person ever again. It's so easy now. Somebody offends you, somebody hurts you. You know what you can do? You can do a couple things. You can just sit on opposite sides of the church from them and just ignore them. You can do that. Think about like in, during the time when we all lived in like little towns where you went to church with the same person that like shooed your horse for you, you know, and then you went, and then the grocer's there too. And it's like your lives are so intertwined. It's like if there's an offense, like you kind of, like, it's not just like you're just moving your homestead away. I mean, you work through it, you know. But nowadays, guess what you, we can do is we can just go to another church. <laughs> a little conflict here. Don't want to deal with it. I'll just go down the street. I don't have to deal with it. And God has really wanted to work with something in us here with our conflict. Is he's trying to say, listen, I want you to do something that, not, that a lot of us are just, um, just, it's hard for us to do. We're unwilling to do it. But man, when you engage with disagreements and offense and conflict with, with one another and talk about it, guess what I want you to do is I want you to grow up. I want you to grow up. I want you to have the courage to have that conversation. It's going to be hard. It's going to be awkward. But man, this is, this is what matures us. This is what grows us if we have the courage to do it. Conflict helps us mature. So what are you supposed to do? Here's a couple tips, all right? You ready? Here's how we work through this together at Westside. First, look in first. Look in first. What are you supposed to do with conflict? Somebody offends you. Somebody brings back your your barbecue and it's not the same condition as you left it. What do you do? First, look in first. Just look in. We tend to think that the biggest problem is out there when the first thing we should do is we should say, all right, Lord, What's in here, you know? What's happening in here? What do I need to address here first? Look in first before we look out. Next is this. Have the courage to go to the source and talk about it. Now, this is really, really embarrassing to admit, but do you know what happens when you don't go to the source and have the courage to talk about it with the source? This is super embarrassing to admit. Do you know what often happens if you don't go to the source and talk about it? Is this. We talk about it with other people. That's what we do. 
ah, oh, it's going to be awkward to talk to that person about it. Man, they, they wronged me. They hurt me. I've got, a, I've got beef with them. But, uh, man, I don't want to talk to them. I'll just talk to, I'll just talk to these people. And we do that. And we even put, like, Christian words around it, too. Like, hey, can you give me language to talk to that person about it? And then can you help me? Because I've got this thing. Can you help me? Oh, man, I just got this thing with that person. We just do all that. And one of the best things that we could And wouldn't Satan for just love for us to do that? Just to do that, just to talk about all the conflict everywhere else, but just not go talk to the person about it. One of the best things we can do is just go to the source. If you need something catchy that rhymes, here it is, is bring the fight into the light. Bring the fight into the light. You know why? Because fights die in the light. They grow in the darkness, but they die in the light. Bring the fight into the light. It's one of the best things you can do. A couple months, uh, it was actually like a year ago, there was, a, there was a, a gal in our church, and she asked me for some information, uh, just in an email. She was like, hey, could you send me an email, get me some of that information that I need? And I said, and it was at church, it was on a Sunday. She was like, can you get, send me that email? I was like, absolutely, be in your inbox this week, I promise. And like three weeks, three weeks went by, totally forgot about it. I just totally forgot, you know? And she caught me on a Sunday morning, and she came up, and there, were, there was some emotion, and there were some tears. I wasn't sure where it was coming from yet. I was like, what's wrong? Like, what, how can I pray? And she said, you, you really hurt me. Like, I, I was waiting for that email, and you never sent it. And, and I know you're busy, and I know there's stuff, but I just, um, like, that really hurt. And I, and I mean, I, I hated that conversation because I, you know, I hate being the bad guy. But you know what? I, I told her at the end of that conversation, after we worked it out, I said, I said, thank you. Thank you for this. Like, thank you for just telling me because I, I didn't know and I forgot. And now I can make it right. And I just apologized. I just owned up to it. I forgot. I did. L let me make it right. But you know what she could have done? She could have just like stewed on it for a couple months. That pastor hates me. And then she could have gone to another church because she just ticked at me. And then to like tell the people over there, like, now I left because like they just don't care about people over at Westside. She could have done all that, which sometimes just we do. But she came to me. I'm grateful. I didn't know. And I could make it right. Maybe the person that you're angry at, just maybe they don't know. Maybe you just need to share it. Maybe you just need to talk about it. And it's going to get the fight into the light. And it's going to give them a chance to, to explain or come back, apologize. And you can actually reconcile. And I need to close this today. So I'm going to just kind of skip to the end and get to really the part that's really at the core of everything. Is Did you know this? You know that the presence of the master in the field does wonders for the sheep. The presence of the master in the field, it does wonders for the sheep. The sheep left alone, they just get into all these squabbles. But when the shepherd steps into the field... It's like they look at the shepherd and they're like, man, I, why do I have to tr try to be the best? Why do I have to try to like position myself to you know, be better than others? It's like I'm, I'm loved by the shepherd. Let the shepherd into your field, whatever it is. Let the shepherd into your field. Lastly, lastly, lastly. And why don't the band, can you come up as I'm hitting this one? Please come on up. As I'm hitting this one, here's lastly. Oh, listen, I'm about to preach to you. Remember what Jesus did to be reconciled to you. Remember what Jesus did to be reconciled to you. Do you know what Jesus did to be reconciled to you? 
Do you know how hard Jesus fought to be reconciled to you? Do you know what it cost Jesus to be reconciled to you? He went to the ends of the earth to be reconciled to you and to me. He fought for us so hard so we could have relationship. How dare we? How dare we receive that grace and that reconciliation from God, but then we can't extend it to one another? How come we're not willing to fight for reconciliation, to fight for relationship? Oh, yeah, it'll be an awkward conversation. I know, it will. (laughs) But Jesus, like, went to the cross for us. He fought for us. And so we, we can fight for relationship with each other. And what if we did? What if we just, in our community, not just Westside, but every Christian community across the planet, what if we just handled our offenses well? Not all of them are going to get worked out because it, it takes two, two to tango, right? Not, it's not all going to be all be wrapped up in a bow. You know, I, we get all that. But what if Christians, we just said, you know what? We're not going to, we're not going to handle conflict the rest of the, like the TV shows and the rest of the world does. We're not going to let this just tear us apart. We're just, we're going to come and we're going to go to the source. We're going to talk about it and we're going to work through it. And we're going to have those conversations. And we're going to let the Lord's presence just be over us. And we're going to let him work reconciliation in us. Man, how, how beautiful, of, how, 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 how loud would that sing to the rest of the world to how beautiful our God is? This was the perfect and most awkward transition into communion together. Because communion is one of those things that if you've got beef with someone, I just dare you. I dare you. You got beef with someone, you just try to take that beef and, and, and then go and get communion and go find them and say, hey, we need to work this out. I wanna take, can we take communion together? You just, you just see what happens to that conflict. When the shepherd is there with you, I mean, it's just, it's like, it all gets into perspective. It's like, finally, like, we can work this out. Like, we can figure something out. I just dare you to just be bold. And I'm not saying you need to look around the room this morning and find the person you hate most and, you know, take them communion. I'm not, I'm not saying you do that. But, you know, we had somebody on our team not too long ago. There was some, like, an issue with one of their people on their team. And you know what they did, literally, on a Sunday morning? You know what they did when we took communion? They went over there, they grabbed communion, two sets, and they went and found that person wherever they were in the building, and they said, hey, we need to talk. I brought communion. Let's figure this out together. And they took communion together. Oh, guys, that's, like, that's a big gospel at work. That's something true that's working in our lives. I don't know what you need to do with communion today, but we're going to sing, we're going to take communion, and whatever issue you have, whatever thing you're holding on to, what do you got to do about it? Look in, look up. Maybe you need to go to someone. Maybe a phone call needs to happen today. Maybe you need to to send somebody a text and say, hey, can we get coffee this week? I don't know what you got to do, but this matters, and we can do this because Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed for us.